Hello and welcome. I am Joel McReynolds, and you are listening to my preaching podcast. I have the opportunity to share from God's Word and want to share God's message not only with the congregation of the churches I preach in, but also with you. You can find out more information about me on my website, joelmcreynolds.com, where you can also check out my blog. For now, I hope God speaks to you through today's message. someone a great promise, there would also be some kind of barrier to the fulfillment of that promise. Think about it. He promised Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And then his wife was barren, infertility. He told Joseph he would make him a great leader, such that his brothers would bow down to him, and even his father. But then he was betrayed by those very brothers. He was thought dead by his father. He was sold into slavery for decades. And yet, we see what happens at the end of his story. He anointed a shepherd boy named David to be king over Israel. But there was someone already in that position, and if you're familiar with the biblical story, you know he wasn't that happy about having David come into that position. God gave great promises, and he gives great promises, but there are often great obstacles that cannot be overcome by human means. Every promise has a price, and that price is faithful obedience to God. As we come to Joshua 3 this morning, God has promised them you will have the land that is in Canaan. And they had come to this land before, as we've already mentioned, but they turned away because they were not faithfully obedient to God. And so this generation that's now standing at the precipice has been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they are back. They're on the cusp of going into the promised land. But there's a barrier that's preventing them from reaching God's promise. The Jordan River. Now, before we jump into this passage this morning, I want to give you a heads up. We are conditioned to think in terms of linear chronological events. This thing happened, then this thing, and then such and such. This is not written in such a manner. Many times in the Bible, events are arranged topically rather than chronologically, and that's what's going on in our passage this morning. So we see little snippets of things that are happening here and there. But they aren't arranged in chronological order. So don't let that throw you. And it's most likely that a lot of these things are happening nearly simultaneously. And uh, we'll find next week as we get into chapter 4, we're going to get more information on what's happening in chapter 3 as it fills in some of the gaps. So keep that in mind as we're reading this morning. We're going to go ahead and jump in beginning in verse number 1. Joshua 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel sent out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. 
At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So the first thing I want us to see out of this passage this morning is that we need to follow God's movements. In Joshua 1, God had told the leaders of the people to prepare to leave in three days. And then we said he sent spies immediately into Jericho, and they were gone. Three days. Well, I believe that's the same three days. And now, they came back on the third day, and now Joshua tells the leaders, it's time for us to move. So, there's debates about all of this timing. Some say it's taking up to like a week. I'm thinking it's all in the same amount of time, that same three days. So, they're prepared to move, but they aren't moving on their own. The previous generation had followed a pillar of cloud during the day. They had followed a pillar of fire in the evening, but Joshua commands them to follow now the Ark of the Covenant. Well, what is the Ark of the Covenant? If you've read through the Pentateuch, you've heard about this book. The Ark is a wooden box. It's overlaid with gold, and within the box, there are some stone tablets. Do you know what's on the stone tablets? Ten Commandments, God's Law, written by God, by his finger on the tablets. This was there to serve as a reminder of God's desire to have a relationship with Israel. He set forth his covenant. He said, you are my people. You must abide by these conditions. And here is your sign of the covenant. It also contained a pot of manna, which was a reminder of God's provision for the people as they are in the wilderness. And then it also contains Aaron's rod. Now, Aaron's rod was a dead stick that God used. He made it bud, so he gave it life. He used it to show his great power. And on top of this golden box, there were two cherubim. In between the cherubim was the place where God is said to meet with Israel. So this ark, ark of the covenant, sign of the covenant. It's a sign of God's presence with the people of Israel. In the Old Testament, it's the equivalent of Emmanuel. It's the, the equivalent of God with us. So when the chest led the way with the priest carrying it, what it meant is God is going before us into the land of Canaan. He's leading his people. So God would be the first one to take the steps into Canaan, and the people were to follow his lead. The people were to pursue his presence. They were to chase after him, follow after him. But there is a condition. And you notice that in verse number four, it says you must stay a distance of about 2,000 cubits. Well, what's, what's that mean? We don't speak in terms of cubits. It's a little over half a mile. So the people are to stay about a half mile back from the Ark of the Covenant. Now, some have taken this instruction about 
this distance to talk about the holiness of God and how there needs to be a separation. I don't think that's what's going on in this passage because it tells us exactly why he wants this to happen. He says, don't come near it so that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you've not passed this way before. So the reason for not getting near is so everybody, all these approximately 2 million people, can see where the ark is going. It's like when you're walking in the darkness. You know, if you're walking by yourself with a flashlight, you just shine it a few feet in front of you. But as you get more people, if there's two of you, shine them a little further ahead. If there's three, shine them a little further ahead. Same thing. You can only see so far in front of you. So the more people, the less we'll be able to see if, it's, if they're following closely. So they want to make sure everybody can see this Ark of the Covenant. Well, the journey from Shittim into the bank of the Jordan is a pretty easy one. It's just a few miles. It's over smooth ground. Priests can carry the ark, and everybody can see as they cross this plain. But as the people reach the banks of the Jordan River, they have to stop at this barrier. Why are they stopping? At this point, we don't know. The narrator's not telling us yet, so I'm not going to tell you yet either. We have all of it that we need, the instruction to follow where God leads. And then the scene shifts in verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross overhead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now, what we find from this is we need to prepare ourselves. Preparation was demanded of the people. The attitude of the people was important for perceiving God's work in and among them. So Joshua says, you must consecrate yourself. Now, we're not told here exactly what that means, but if we look back to what Moses did with the people in Exodus as they were consecrated, it meant a, a few things. First, they washed themselves. They purified themselves, washed their garments, and then they also abstained from sexual relations and, and other things of the like. And I think these are a couple of external actions that are really speaking more about the internal attitude. So let's look at this consecration preparation in two aspects. The first is repentance of sin. As the people would wash themselves, wash their clothes, it was a reminder that they needed cleansing. They were already in a relationship with God. They already had the covenant. But they needed to purify the sin from their midst. Individual sin does not cancel our relationship with God, but it does cause a disruption. Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So Joshua wanted to make sure, he wanted the people to be certain that they were right with God. Now you, you can't correctly perceive where God is moving, you can't correctly perceive how God is moving if you aren't right with God. 
You can't follow him properly if you're blinded by your sin. It's amazing how people can blind themselves to the movements of God. It's amazing how people cannot see God in what he's doing. And I think of that George Strait song, I Saw God Today. Familiar with it? And when you're in the right frame of mind, everything reminds you of God. You go out and you see a flower growing through the concrete. Oh, God put that for me today. I needed that. When you are thinking about God and you're in a right relationship with him, everything you do, your mindset, your attitude is focused on what God has done. But when you're blinded by your sin, even not only are you missing the little things, but even the big, the wondrous things are discounted. Now that, that was just coincidence. That's, that's just science. That's the way science is working. And I'm not saying science and religion are against each other or anything like that. I'm just saying when your mind is focused on God, it's different than when it's blinded by sin. So we have to make certain that you are right with God. Jesus died on the cross so that you could have complete access to God's grace and his forgiveness. And if you've never confessed your sin to Jesus Christ and you've never trusted in his name, I want to encourage you to take right now and pray. Pray to him to be cleansed of your sin. His blood paid the price for your salvation. It's a free gift that you must receive. If you pray to God, he will cleanse you and you will be made whole. And if you do that, at the end of the service, which is uh, coming later this morning, we'll have a time of response. And I, if you make that decision to follow Christ, I want to invite you at that time to come. And we as a community of Christ would like to celebrate with you on that decision. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a believer, we are saved from the penalty of our sins. We're saved from being cast into hell or saved from the wrath of God, but we're not free from the presence of sin. We still have sin that comes into our minds and invades our thoughts. We still have sin that invades our hearts, and we must repent of that. And so if you know of something right now, I want you to take a moment to pray and repent of whatever sin is in your life that is preventing you from recognizing God's movement in your life. And preventing you from following him in complete obedience. But also church. We are a community of Christ. We are his body. And yet we oftentimes recognize sin in our corporate life. Not just as individuals, but as the church. So what I would like for us to do now, this is not our invitation time. But I would invite you to stand with me. And I would like for us to pray this prayer that's up on the screen together as the body of Christ. Pray with me. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Even within us, our sorrow for the wrong we have done and the good we have left undone. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. So we must cleanse ourselves, but also we must be on spiritual alert. Notice the second part of consecration. 
The people abstain from the normal aspects of life. They abstain from sexual relationships. They abstain from certain types of food. It's not saying those things are bad. In fact, those things are good. God created those things as good for us. But he says we need to pause our normal, everyday functions so that we can focus on what God is doing. Look for him and be able to discern the things of God. One of the spiritual disciplines of the church is the act of fasting. Now, most of us don't fast as often as we should, and as Baptists, a lot of times it shows. Yeah, some of you got that. Some of you will get it later. Fasting means that we take a break from our normal schedule. We take something that's a normal function, such as eating, and we use that time to focus on God and what he's doing. So usually fasting and prayer go together because you take a break from what you're doing normally to focus on the Lord in prayer. And it helps you when you do that to be alert to what God is doing in your life. Church, I want to challenge you. Take a time this week if you're physically able, if your health will not prevent you from doing so. Make a time this week to fast one meal and to pray for our church. Make a priority to interrupt your schedule to focus on God's work, on what he's going to be doing amongst us here at Chandler Southern Baptist Church. Let's prepare ourselves in anticipation of what God is about to do, just like Joshua prepared the people of Israel to, for what God was about to do for them. It's critical for Joshua, and it's critical for us, that the people recognize what happens in God's work. Without proper preparation, you don't have proper insight, you don't have expectancy, you don't have the proper preparation. Let me ask you this, how do you prepare for worship each Sunday morning? What do you do? Do you have a ritual that you do, or do you just come? Do you do something that makes you expectant, that God is going to move in our service, or do you just come and do what you do every Sunday out of ritual and tradition. Are you coming expecting God to move? I hope and I pray that God is preparing your heart every week. And I hope that he's preparing your heart for all the great things that I believe he has in store for us as a church. Even more so, I pray that you're preparing your heart every week to come and to worship, to see what God has to say to us from his word, and to sing praises to his name, for he is great. He is Let's continue in verse 7. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Verse 10, Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, 
the Hittite, the Hivite, the Pezzarite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. I'll say all those really fast. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing overhead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. Now we're not going to see, verse 12, what that is for. We'll see that next week. So put that little pin there and come back next week prepared to hear about that. Verse 13, it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rests in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So we need to move in faith, and then we need to wait on God. Having consecrated themselves, the people are ready. They're prepared for the work of God. But before they actually get there, there's a couple of words, a couple of conversations that take place. First, God speaks directly to Joshua, and then God speaks to the people through Joshua. So first, God tells Joshua that what he's about to do is going to exalt Joshua among the people. This event will give the people confidence that they need in their leader as they prepare to go in and conquest the land. If they don't trust their leader, they will fail as they go into their new land. Now we can probably all point to examples of bad leadership. We could probably all think of multiple, I know I thought of multiple examples as I was preparing this. But last night I saw something that was, I think, a positive illustration of this, uh, of this principle. Now I don't know how many of you follow the NFL, fans of the NFL, but I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And uh, I was a fan even before they started winning a few years ago. But last night they were in the divisional playoffs and you know, we have this superstar quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, who makes magic happen. It is just mind-blowing. But he got hurt right near the end of the first quarter. And then he was out the whole second quarter. And his backup, Chad Henney, was brought in as the Chiefs received the ball from a pine. And they were on, I think it was the three-yard line, but they were backed up against their own end zone. So if the team didn't have confidence in Henny, they would have had him run, just hand off the ball to your running back, run it up through the middle, and let's see how far out of the end zone we can get. But instead, Coach Reed decided, let's have him throw. So he's standing in the end zone, receives the ball, and throws, and completes the pass. They get up, they just keep marching down the field, all the way down for a touchdown. And guess how much the Chiefs won by last night? A touchdown. So, as we're looking at this passage, this is Joshua's big moment to gain the confidence of the people. And unlike Henny, he didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was lead the people to the river, and God said, I'm going to take care of the rest, and you are going to be exalted because of it. What a deal. <laughs> All he had to do was get them to the river and get them to walk into it. And then they had to stand still. So Joshua addressed the people. And notice what he told the people. God is going to do something miraculous. He's going to do something wondrous. But every miracle in Scripture has a purpose. They're not just there willy-nilly. They're there for a reason. God uses them for a certain reason. And people sometimes will try to put their own reasons on it. 
But be careful with that. You want to make sure that you're looking to see what is the purpose that Scripture says is there for this miracle. So he tells them, By this you shall know that the living God is among you. That the living God is among you. God is going to make the waters of the Jordan River stop flowing so that the people not only have confidence in Joshua, but that they have confidence in him, in the Lord himself. And the idea here is if the Lord can get us into the land, then surely he can give us the land. Remember, they're preparing here for battle. They're, they're going to be battling all of these different groups. And, and here in this passage, we see seven different groups. Now, there's actually more than these seven groups. But in, in Scripture, there will oftentimes be groups of seven. Because seven in the Hebrew mind is the number of completion or perfection. And so he's, he says these seven different people groups to say God is going to give us the whole area. He's not going to keep back a little bit. He's going to go in and he's going to conquer it all. That same God, the same God who gets you into the promised land by this miraculous act of keeping the river from flowing, he is going by that same power. He's going to give that land to you. He's going to defeat all of your enemies. You just need to trust in him, for God is powerful. You know, I think we forget sometimes how powerful our God truly is. We forget to look back on what God has done for us already. We forget that the same God who had the power to stop the Jordan River, the same God who had the power to turn water into wine, the same God who had the power to feed thousands with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, the same God who had the power to part the Red Sea, the same God who had the power to raise Jesus from the dead is still alive and active today. His power didn't diminish over time. He didn't grow old and feeble. He is still the powerful, wonder-working God. Dale Davis said the rescue at the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan that we're looking at today, and the death and resurrection of Christ are explosions of God's power that are meant to color the whole horizon of, of the believer's life in order to assure us that God, who is so mightily handles all these great emergencies, is surely adequate, surely adequate for the smaller crises and anxieties that beset us. But notice how Joshua referred to God there. It's interesting. This is the first time in the book of Joshua we see this term. He is the living God. He is living and he is active in our lives, just as he was in their lives. He is moving us just as he was moving them. He is leading us just as he was leading them. So the question before us is, are we actively following him? Are we anticipating that he is going to work mightily, or are we just offering him our lip service? We've got to be put to the test. And so we see in beginning in verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, 
And the feet of the priest carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water. And then we have this parenthesis. Isn't this weird? Parenthesis. For the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. And then, verse 16. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap, a great distance away from Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those which were flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. So the final thing for us is we need to see the wondrous results. We need to see the wondrous results. Finally, finally, the people are at the Jordan River. Now, we haven't really talked about the Jordan River much, and that's by design. The author doesn't talk about, us, about it much, because the order of the Hebrew narrative builds tension. It builds it clause by clause, detail by detail. Even here in this passage, he builds it up. We'll, we'll talk more about that in just a second. The Jordan was, under any regular circumstances, a formidable barrier. So even if you look at the modern image there, you can see I've kind of highlighted in light blue the, uh, the actual course of the river. And then around it, you see all this green. There's all this short brush, shrubbery, it's, it's a, a miniature jungle right there around the river, even today, and they've cleared out some of it. So to go through the river, they would have to first make it through the jungle. And then they would have to cross the river for the river, which is no small task. But the author of Joshua builds this anticipation. You get to the point in verse 15. The priests are dipping their feet in the water, and then all of a sudden he gives you this, this data about the river. This gives us uh, some uh, river conditions, shall we say. And it delays the climax a little bit, but when it does that, it also builds up the climax a little bit. Because we find the condition of the river helps us appreciate the greatness of the miracle. It's not just the normal Jordan River. It's the Jordan River at its worst. Let's go to the next image. Maybe. There we go. Okay. So I don't know if you can see, but there are mountains on either side of the Jordan River. And during the wintertime, as you can imagine, there's snow up there. Then when the spring comes, all that snow melts and runs down into the valley to the Jordan River. And the Jordan overflows its banks. And the, the floodplain in areas is up to a mile wide. And it has this drop in elevation as it goes from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. And so the water begins to pick up speed. The current is strong. It's wide. It's strong. It's a torrent. And underneath the torrent is the jungle, the brambles, the brush. So Israel is facing a torrent that's covering these hidden snares that could easily drown a strong man. Yet how are they going to get across with the elderly? How are they going to get the children across? 
God has led them to cross the Jordan at a time when it seems impossible. But God delights to show his might in the face of our helplessness. He wants us to know that if we endure, it will not be due to our great strategies. Although there's nothing wrong with making some plans and, and preparing ourselves. It won't be because your pastor has great charisma or great leadership skill. Although I continue to work on those and develop and hone those. And it won't be because of your sacrificial giving or serving. Which, by the way, we do really appreciate all the work that you've done in the parsonage. And we stayed there last night and really enjoyed uh, being here. But no, it's not because of the work of human hands. It is only because of God's grace and God's power that we will succeed. For Israel, they came upon the impossible, crossing this powerful Jordan River in the flood season. But that powerful river was nothing compared to the powerful God, the powerful living God of Israel. So when the Ark of the Covenant, the sign of God's presence, came to the river, as soon as the priests dipped their toes in the water, it says the waters stopped flowing there, piled up like a great heap, like piling up your hay. It's just in this great heap up by Adam. Can you imagine as the people walk across, the waters have stopped the people of Jericho, remember last week we talked about Rahab said they were scared because they had heard the story of the Red Sea. And now they're watching out their walls as the, the Jordan River stops flowing and the people of Israel walk across it on dry land. Their eastern border of protection is gone. And in comes Israel. But notice... What happened? It required an act of faith. The priest could have come up and said, Ooh, that's some strong water. It's cold. I'm not going to step my feet in it. But they had to get their feet wet. They had to step out in faith on the water, much like the Apostle Peter does later in the New Testament. He had to step out on the water, depending upon solely the Lord to provide for them, to do something amazing. Friends, we've got to get our feet wet to see God do some amazing things. But when we do, and we're following the Lord, and we're watching, and we're prepared to see what God's doing, man, the impossible becomes possible. Every promise has a price. And the price for Israel to enter into the promised land was to have faith that God would let them get across the Jordan River some way. God promised to us salvation for each of us. And he provided the way through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. And our price to receive that promise is the same as what Israel had to receive their promise. We must step out and have faith in the Lord. We must trust in him. And if you haven't done that today, now is the time for you to respond. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening to my podcast. Please subscribe to catch the latest episodes and find me on YouTube. Until next time, go out and pierce the darkness with the light of his word.